1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to be back. All right. I, what, here, I, I, was, in, I was in Florida. Um, Fort Myers, Bonita Springs, um, Naples area. And what, what happens is <clears throat> my wife, ever since she was like a teenager, has been going down with a number of her girlfriends to that area. They do like a week-long trip. And so this year it was, oh, come, come along. And I said, well, you, you hang out with your girlfriends and stuff, and I'll come down in, in the middle of the week. Now, when we last spoke, it was Tuesday afternoon, and it's, it's, okay, it's 46 degrees right now. So after I got off the air on Tuesday afternoon, the gal that takes care of our dog is up in West Bend. So I, last Tuesday afternoon, you will remember, it's like 25, 30 below. There's um, a 30-mile-an-hour wind. We had just had all that, that huge snowstorm, and so there's like a 30-mile-an-hour wind blowing the snow. I, the normal route I would take to West Bend, I couldn't because too many cars were spun out and the roads were closed. So I ended up taking the back roads out there on this real white-knuckle drive and ultimately got there and dropped Sasha off and got back. So then I started seeing. I was flying out. I was on Southwest, and I, I'm, I'm watching all these closings. And all these, these planes are being canceled, one after another after another. Mine, which was about noon, was still on. As a matter of fact, if you follow me, Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I have a picture that is taken... The only reason I got out, I'm convinced, is I was on a turnaround trip. The plane that I was on to Fort Myers was Fort Myers to Milwaukee, and then it immediately turned, and I mean immediately. They didn't fool around at all. It immediately turned around and went back to Fort Myers. All the other things were were canceled, but that one happened. Mine happened to be the one that goes. So if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a picture I took from inside, you know, right before I got on the plane, and these poor Southwest, the ground crew. I mean, that's why the planes can't fly. The ground crew just can't be outside. But I, I watched it. They, they came out. They had all the bags, all the baggage things out waiting for the plane to land. Then they go somewhere. They go inside. The plane lands. They all run out. And, I mean, it was this incredible spur. It's get the planes, get the bags off, get the bags back on. I don't think that plane was on the ground. For, I don't think it was on the ground for a half hour. But I, I ended up getting out. I've got a picture of the folks in Southwest just absolutely rocks. And then got down to Fort Myers and uh, spent, let's see, Wednesday night in Fort Myers. We visited some dear friends of ours, Mike and Kathy, in Naples on Thursday. And then hung out in Bonita Springs on Thursday night, Friday we went over to um, Sanibel and Captiva Islands, which is just beautiful. And there's a picture of my beautiful wife and I. Um, we're we're on the beach at Captiva, which is one of the lands. It's like Fort Myers Beach, and then it's Sanibel, and it's Captiva outside an internationally famous place called the Mucky Duck. Um, and so we're on the beach partaking in boat drinks. So that's it. Then the okay. So then we were coming back on Saturday, and here here's the other my interesting Saturday stories about travel. First of all, the flight was supposed to be at 6.15 in the evening. Well, I start getting notifications from Southwest that the flight is delayed and delayed and delayed. I'm trying to figure this out. Well, what happened was... Um, early, and you perhaps read about this, Saturday morning at the Orlando airport. Orlando is one of the busiest, busiest airports in the country because you've got, I mean, everybody flies to Orlando to visit the mouse. And they've got a hotel in the airport. I mean, it's physically in the airport. And apparently a TSA agent had gotten off work, had gone up to one of the top floors in the hotel, and had killed himself, jumped off the balcony, landing in the atrium of the airport. 
um, which is right, if you know the Orlando airport, it, it's right before you go through these gates. So what they had to do is they had to, like, evacuate the airport, move everybody around. The FAA put a ground stop on all the planes coming into or leaving Orlando. So our, the, the way as it turned out, the flight that I was on at 6 o'clock at night was originally supposed to be Orlando to Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids to Fort Myers, Fort Myers to Milwaukee. And the the first flight, nothing went in or out, so the crew like sat on the ground for like four and a half, five hours. Um and and I don't get me wrong, I'm it's it's a tragedy that the guy that killed himself in that fashion. And yes, it was a little bit of an inconvenience. But what it really struck me, and this is perhaps the larger point, I mean, all right, you have a guy who kills himself at the airport in Orlando at 930 in the morning. And, and that's, again, it's a tragedy. But that disrupt, that one act, here we are almost 20 years after 9-11, that one act essentially disrupted airfare, I mean, air travel for a good portion of the country for the entire day. Any plane that was going into or out of Orlando was delayed by four or five hours. Several flights, I guess, were canceled just because of the timing of it. And, I mean, it then you, you try to – you think, boy, if there was something bigger that, that happened – and, again, I'm not minimizing the fact that the man's dead – but if there was something minimi- bigger that happened, you wonder if air travel would be paralyzed. It just showed the vulnerabilities of the system. But ultimately, the flight's supposed to leave at 6. It leaves around 10.30 or 11, so we get back. And then – the it, it was sort of like I, I'm, I'm. I think God was kind of punishing me or teasing me a little bit for for um, getting out bailing on the like forty below weather. As we're coming home, uh, the freeway is closed because perhaps you saw this. I don't know if you saw it, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. But a guy like nine o'clock at night is walking on the freeway, forty three north by Hampton Avenue, gets hit. He's walking on the freeway and gets hit by at least two separate, maybe three different cars that hit the guy while he's walking in the dark on the freeway. And it wasn't like a stranded motorist. They, they, they still don't know the story. But so the whole freeway is closed. So we're kind of winding those. Anyhow, it got back about two o'clock in the morning. And so that's why I, I watched the Super Bowl, but it was a little bit groggy doing it. But it's very it is very, very good to be back. I appreciate Scott Morris filling in for me and um you want to talk about again just the difference this is when i when i got to fort myers on on wednesday it there were all these people that were complaining everybody was it was like 55 or 60 degrees and kind of overcast and they were apologizing oh it just hasn't been warm it's been crummy here and i kept saying it was 50 below with the wind chill. I've had a 100-degree swing in temperature. This is fine to me. But here, now it's 46 degrees. My wife thinks I was exaggerating things because I, I said, boy, did you pick the right time to get out? We had this m- monster snowstorm over the weekend and then freezing and 50 below. And we get back on Saturday night, Sunday morning, and it's in the 40s and Two-thirds or at least half of the snow that was here is gone, and I, I think I'm getting this look like, are you you were just making this all up because you wanted sympathy. No, I wasn't making it up. But here it's 46 degrees. It's almost, if you include the wind chill factor, it's almost been a 100-degree swing here in the space of six days. Weird weather conditions. Okay, if you want to see some of the pictures and stuff again, Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 When we come back. I want to talk about developments in the, the murder of the freighter nurse 
And some, some questions that this, a, the, a big overriding question that this raises, not only with relate, regard to this particular situation, but other situations as well. Stick around, 1216. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's good to be back. Twelve nineteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, let's get started. Uh, the The story that has actually gained all sorts of national attention is this horrible story. Um, the The woman, her name was Carly Bodron, thirty three years old. She was a, a nurse practitioner at at Freightert. And the the bigger point here is that this happened at, at Freightert. It, it and this is the point I'm going to raise. I, I think it could happen in. It could happen anywhere, which is the larger issue. But everybody knows the story by now. She, If you work in a hospital, you come and go at odd hours of the night. It's not uncommon for doctors or nurses to you know, be leaving in the middle of the night. It's not uncommon for people visiting patients to be leaving in the middle of the night. I have done that on more occasions in that very parking garage at Freighter. And I can tell you there's more times than I wish to count that I've been visiting somebody or you, and it, it's 2 o'clock, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. So you... It is not uncommon for people to be in the parking garage at odd hours. The according to the criminal complaint that has been filed, um, she she was of course murdered on Friday, January twenty fifth, and uh, the person who has been charged in connection with that is a guy named Kenneth Freeman. Now, let me just say this at the outset. People who are charged with crimes are presumed innocent until proven guilty. So technically, when I am use this guy's name, I'm supposed to say alleged. So I'm just, anytime you hear me mention his name, insert the word alleged. State has to prove he's, he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, everybody knows the story now. They, they found her body, and I, I'm, I apologize for being graphic. I, I do. But they, they found her body under her car, which was parked weirdly in a particular parking structure. Um, she was she had been beaten. She was frozen to the ground. They tried to revive her. They, they failed. But it, it wasn't her parking structure. Now, here, according to the criminal complaint, there is a surveillance video from where she parked, parking structure five. And according to the criminal complaint um, about one o'clock in the morning she was leaving work she exits the elevators on the second floor and again I I, I can picture this this exactly so um, according to again the complaint this is all caught on video because they've got surveillance cameras Freeman that is the alleged <clears throat> murderer was seen standing behind a concrete pillar as she um, walks towards her car the video shows that Freeman stepped out from behind the pillar, briefly spoke with her as she kept walking to her vehicle. Now, you can imagine this. It's like, okay, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm in this semi-deserted parking garage, and I've got this wackadoodle who's now popped out from behind a concrete pillar and wants to talk to me. Well, she I, I don't know if she exchanged anything with him, but she keeps walking on. What happens next is he starts to follow her, first walking and then running. This is on camera, apparently. He knocks her to the ground, kicks or stomps her head and neck almost 40 times, according to the complaint. And this is all caught on camera. 
So this woman is being beaten, and it's being caught on surveillance cameras. He dragged her to the ground, kicked her, stomped her neck almost 40 times. He then dragged her from the camera's view towards her vehicle. So then you don't, but this is all caught on camera, the, the assault that leads to the death. He then drags her outside the camera's view. Then you see the vehicle leaving the parking structure and entering a different parking structure. And then, um, again, it goes backwards and forwards and ultimately ends up where it ends up. Um, so and the investigation goes from there. But my, my sense of this is this was all captured on on tape. I mean, it, it was it was video. They've got a surveillance film of this. So theoretically, the prosecution's case is, I mean, I think relatively easy. Apparently, he's also he called and turned himself in and confessed to doing this. Nobody understands what the motive was. This guy was formerly worked as a valet in the for the, the company that like parks people's cars. He was fired in October for some unknown reason. Nobody knows at this point in time or if they do there about whether there was any connection between him and the, the nurse. My guess is that this was random. That would be my guess. But again, I, I don't know that for sure. But in any event, this is all caught on camera. Now, here's the issue, and there was a story in the newspaper, the local newspaper, over the last couple days that kind of caught my attention as well, and it it talked about how, you know, the FBI confirms a, a danger about parking garages. And, of course, the obvious question that jumps out about this story is, what good is having a surveillance camera or a system of surveillance cameras if they're not monitored in real time. I mean, if there's not somebody there, now I understand maybe it makes proving that something easier, but if the point is protection, what's the point of having surveillance cameras if there's not somebody that's watching them that sees, I don't know, some dangerous wackadoodle that's lurking you know, behind concrete pillars, or in this case, that apparently caught on film attacking a woman. And and here's the thing. I don't think this is unique in any stretch of the imagination to Freighter. I, I think this is an ongoing thing that you would find at lots and lots of area parking garages, whether they're attached to hotels or shopping centers or, I don't know, other places as well where you've got cameras, but you don't have people monitoring the cameras. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, you know, and again, let, let's not lose sight of the fact that, that the blame here lies exclusively on the person who is responsible for that murder. Moving forward, though, is it unreasonable to expect that places, I don't know, that feel the need to have security cameras also take that next step of having somebody there to monitor the security cameras in real time so that, I don't know, maybe something like this is potentially preventable moving forward. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess related to that, I am sure there are a number of you who, you know, maybe work odd hours and, and park in these public or parking structures that are open to the public. Are you uncomfortable with that? You know, should there be, should, should we learn from this horrible thing that happened and should we expect 
I don't know, these places to do more. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and again, I just with the emphasis of trying to move forward, doesn't seem to me it's very good to have security cameras that aren't monitored in real time. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1226. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1228, Jeff WTMJ, Becca in Milwaukee. Becca, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Good Hi, afternoon. Becca. What do you think? Um, well, I agree. It would be nice to think that there's somebody watching you in real time to take care of you all the time. I don't think it's financially possible. If you've got, I've got to imagine hundreds of cameras on a campus like Freighter. How can you hire enough people to watch 100 video feeds in real time at the same time? I think some will be monitored. They may flip through from camera to camera to provide real-time different views. But if it's captured, I mean, at least you can go back and, and prove something after the fact. And it's, it's horrible in this situation. I agree with I mean, you. I guess I'll need to stop you there. Do you, I mean, do you really think that it's that unreasonable, I mean, to have – because there are – there, there are places. I mean, okay, so you you have. It seems to me you have one or two people that are sitting in a room and are just kind of watching the different the different monitors. I guess I don't. If you're going to have a security thing, I don't guess I don't think that it's that onerous to have some person sitting in a room somewhere who's who's just monitoring the different cameras. Now, maybe you catch it, maybe you don't, but. Uh, you know, you, you only have one person watching the cameras, or maybe two people. Do you think it's really that unreasonable? Do you really think that one or two people are going to be able to monitor hundreds of cameras yeah. at the same time, effectively? Yeah, yeah I guess I, I mean, I, I, I guess I do. I mean, you're just sitting there and you're scanning there and you're looking at the different TV screens and you see, hey, there's, there's, there's this guy that's standing behind this concrete pillar. Let's kind of, let's sort of focus on that one. I mean, we, we have reporters that watch the traffic cameras all the time. And, and then once they see something unusual, they kind of focus on, on that one. I don't know. Thanks. I mean, I guess that that's what I guess what's that's what the question is. And I guess the question becomes, is that un- and I, I don't mean to pick on freighter. I mean, like, this is, again, something. Do we expect should you expect there to be like 24 seven, some degree of on site security? And it seems to me monitoring cameras is quite candidly a lot more effective than, you know, having some people like driving through the different parking lots. That, I think, is something that you could say, hey, is that really going to be effective? All right, 414-799-1620. A lot of great calls on the line. We pick it up right there. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. But let, let's move out of a hospital setting. And let, let's say, let's take a college campus. And let, let us again say you've got a large parking structure that is open to the public. And you have people coming in and leaving 24, 24-7. Um, yeah, maybe if, if you've got cameras all over the, the, the school. I, do I think maybe you prioritize what you, you watch? Yeah, but I, I think, I guess, a parking garage... It's open to the general public. That's one where I think it would be one of my priorities. And again, this this story, this horrible story out of Freighter, it, to me, it's not about Freighter necessarily. It's about this larger issue because I don't think what they do is any different than what other places do. And you really do get the idea that there is a huge vulnerability when it comes to these parking garages. And I understand some people are saying, well, no, Jeff, you don't understand that the cameras aren't there to try to catch people real time or prevent assaults. It's to deal with liability issues or it's to help maybe solve a crime after the fact. Well, okay, wonderful, but should we maybe rethink that whole thing? Lucy on the West Side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 
Hi there. I've been terrified of parking lots at those big ramps ever since I read the cases. I'm sure you read in Torts Cat class in law school about the girl that was raped in the in the Marcus parking lot and they got off because of assumption of risk. It was a civil suit. Anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> but those places are damn scary. Yeah. The um, well, especially the, in the middle of the night. I mean, it, it's one thing. You know, it's one thing in a parking garage at 7 o'clock at night when there's lots of people around, but 2 o'clock in the morning or 1 o'clock in the morning or whatever, yeah. Okay, here's what I think. I think your idea is fine. Go for it. The places won't do it unless they have to, but I think you're right. But I also think, and I would go back to the hospital setting, um, that there should be van service to take people to their cars and that there Mm -hmm. should be warnings to not walk alone to the parking lot when it's dark. Right. Go with a, wait till you find a buddy, wait for the van. One of the nurses that was quoted in one of the newspaper articles said, yeah, they offer an escort, but the escort acts like it's a, you know, a big... They're doing them a favor, yeah. 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 Yeah, but that means the employees would have to be, will- and maybe visitors, would have to be willing to make some changes, too. You're ready to go home, you're tired, you're hungry... Um, right, it's two in the morning. You just want to get to your car. You don't want to wait ten minutes for somebody to walk you to it. Sure. Right, but but if there were, you know, the employees need to be told. You know, you need to wait for the van. If you don't wait for the van, at least find a buddy. And if you can't find it, and I, I'm not trying to blame the victim here. I'm really not. Um, but but walking alone in those parking lots. You know, at Columbia last year, a woman would have died if two other women walking out hadn't spotted the guy yeah. beating her up, robbing her. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. No, no, thank. No, there, there. I mean, and and I think this is. I, I always try to look. There's, there's no silver lining in this story. I get it, but, but at the same time, maybe it opens up this discussion moving forward for places, whether it's malls or college camp or you know universities or or malls or private businesses or the people that operate these parking structures. Maybe this raises th- this larger issue about. You know, what are we going to do for security? I mean, here's I've got a text from Lou. Lou says, I was a weekend security guy for a now defunct rehab hospital on Lapham Boulevard in the early 90s. We had one swivel camera that I would monitor when I wasn't walking the grounds. You better believe that single cruddy camera worked in spotting shady activities that I would immediately investigate. That usually led to the parties leaving, and we never had an, an incident. And I think that's the, that's the issue moving forward, is, you know, do we need to, to rethink what's going on here, whether it's the security? I mean, look, Marquette University has been wrestling with this for the last several years. Marquette University, an urban university in, you know, essentially the heart of, of Milwaukee. And remember a few years ago, you had these stories about Marquette students who were getting robbed, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now, I mean, their, their police force is very, very aggressive about escorting students you know, when they're walking around the campuses or, or whatever, because, again, you, you just it's not a blocked off. It's not a walled off area. It's an area that's open to the public. There are unfortunately shady people that will hang out at these different places at different times. And so, I mean, I, I think the bottom line is moving forward. I think anybody that is in a situation like this has to be examining everything and saying, okay, we've got to come up with policies to try to do better. Because I know, I will tell you, I'm hearing from a number of people who work 
in in similar types of places who are all saying you know we're you know my my wife is a nurse or my my husband works these places and they're out at two o'clock in the morning and we're scared as you know what because again you're just isolated that's out there and and i think you know the places that are putting up these parking structures if there is an expense well i think you have to figure out how to meld the technology that we have with the physical resources to see if you can if you can do better four one four seven nine nine one six twenty let's talk to um let's see sandy in milwaukee sandy you're in wtmj hello oh well you stole most all of my thunder oh great minds think alike <laughs> yeah well and the lady before but i think that you know the buddy system is helpful um, and if they're going to have those cameras, then they should have someone, if it's a parking structure, let's say four floors, they should have a little house in that structure that's where there's somebody there that's constantly monitoring that particular floor. Mm-hmm. But if I'm correct, the gentleman, I shouldn't, I lose. Right. The murderer. The, the murderer. The, the person who murdered this young woman right he worked there just a short time beforehand he had worked there in october right? he was yeah. fired in october yeah, yeah. And, and you don't know if he took kind of a liking to her and she didn't well yeah no yeah no i mean sandy thanks so. i mean I, yeah. I don't even want to go into motive because because they're not saying anything i i have no idea if this was random or intentional my instinct would be it's random, but I but I don't know. I, and you know, I, maybe it'll come out at some point in time. I, all I know is that it's it's a tragedy. And when you look at these types of stories, I mean, one of the things that is that struck me the whole time was, can we learn from this? to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. And again, I, I go back to my basic premise, and I'm, I'm not, the, the, the guy who killed the woman, he's the one that's responsible for this, but when if they have him on tape doing this, you do kind of wonder, all right, if why can't we go that extra step? And look, and I understand, for example, at a hospital, you've got this giant campus out there, and you probably have a couple thousand cameras. Well, I'm not talking about, I don't know, putting a cam, monitoring a camera that's necessary in some isolated hallway in some building that's closed down. But that's different than the parking structures that are out there. Let's talk to Brian in Brookfield. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, yeah, I have multiple family members um, that work at different hospitals in the area and um yeah it is a huge you know security issue and uh, i agree with right. the previous caller um about maybe having like an armed you know um security shuttle that would drop them off um right you know a buddy system like that but you know it's like how much do people want to pay for their safety you know even the nurses will be like okay well you know, take two dollars out of my check, and I'd rather do that than be, you know, completely not safe walking to my car. You know, right? Or, or I mean, somebody. I mean, I understand. Or the delay thing. Okay, it's one thirty in the morning. All you want to do is you want to go home and you want to go to bed. <laughs> and it, it's like, okay, do I want to, you know, wait fifteen minutes to get the group together and walk? And so, I mean, I I understand that nothing's perfect. I I do get that. Right. So thanks. I mean, I but but. But, 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 and again, here's another text. Jeff, my, my sister, a nurse practitioner in Wisconsin City that is not lacking in crime, told me the security at her place of employment is being completely and totally re-evaluated um, now. Jeff, my daughter works at Freighter and walks a distance to her car. I went to Cabela's yesterday and bought her pepper spray. She is glad that I did. You know, um, 
I, again, it, it's just you, you try to figure out, is, is there anything positive that can come from this? And, and the answer is I, I don't know, other than I think if I if I were any hospital, if I were any university, if I were places that, you know, had – Again, parking lots that were open to the general public. Like we have a parking lot here. They've got cameras up there, but it's not monitored. But the, but the parking lot is closed. I mean, it, it's a gated thing. You need a card key to get in and get out. It's not perfect because I guess somebody theoretically at night could be hiding behind somewhere. And when a car leaves, somebody could, you know, run in through the gate. Oh, okay. So it's not perfect. But again, where I park, it, it's a locked off area. You need card keys to get in. These parking structures, whether it's at Mayfair or at Southridge or wherever, I mean, they're just open to the public. And I think we got to do a better job. Maybe that's the lesson that comes from this. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve forty-seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. I, I just want to spend one segment on this story about the embattled Virginia governor. And let me, let me just say this. Every Republican in the country should be hoping that the Virginia governor digs in his heels and refuses to resign because the, the story about him posing in blackface in 1984 in this photo, uh, that that will, to the extent that people have used the, these old examples of questionable judgment and inappropriate costumes to the attention that sent that people have used that as a weapon against Republicans. As long as this guy is the governor of Virginia, that issue is off the table. It's one of the reasons why I think ultimately he's going to have to go just like Al Franken. Remember Al Franken, who was taking the pictures of him pretending to grab the woman. Um, ultimately, he had to go because all the other Democrats got together and said, hey, we you know, we, we want to talk about this this Me Too movement, and we want to allege that the Republicans don't care about sexual harassment. We can't have that picture of you out there. The same thing, I think, is, is true of the Virginia governor. I know a lot of smart people say, oh, he's going to stay and doesn't think it can get any worse. Well, I, I think he's, he's politically toast, and I think the Democrats are going to need to force him out because, again, as long as he is the governor, uh, that the issue of, gee, Republicans are racists kind of goes off the table. Now, you, everybody, I think, probably knows the story. He's in uh, medical school, 1984. This picture on his yearbook page surfaces of him, presumably in this heavy black face, um, standing next to someone who is dressed as a Ku Klux Klansman. All right. So the, the, the sequence of events is that he initially comes out when this thing first surfaces. He comes out, makes a statement, apologizes for this, says he's not going to resign. Then on Saturday, and I was watching this from Florida, he has this news conference where he says he's now come to the conclusion that he, he doesn't think this is him. And so he's still appalled. And even though he was in other blackface dressing like his Michael Jackson at some point in time, he doesn't think this is him. All right. So that that that's the story. I don't want to talk about, you know, I, we've, we've discussed this from similar things from many angles. Should there be a statute of limitations on bad behavior, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's not what I want to talk to you about. You know, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, what my reaction when I'm listening to the Virginia governor was. Here's the deal. All right, I, I, there, there's a joke about the 60s that if you remember the 60s, you probably really weren't there. All right, so I, I, I was not a child of the 60s. I was a child of the 70s, and I had been out of law school two years by the time 1984 rolled around. This guy was in med school. So I assume we're 
approximately the, the same age in, in general. All right. I know 1984 was 30 plus years ago. Okay. But so we're about the same age. If in 1984 I had gone to a party dressed, let's forget the wisdom of this. In 1984, if I had gone to a party dressed either in a KKK outfit or in heavy blackface, I would remember it. <laughs> okay, I, I I would remember it. Now, you know, I, I might say, I mean, if if somebody came up with a picture like that and said, "This is Jeff Wagner," and it's on Jeff Wagner's yearbook page, I don't think Marquette University Law School had a yearbook, but but here's this picture. It, it it's on there. And it'd be one thing I might be able to say, well, I never saw the yearbook. I don't know if we had one, but I would remember whether or not in 1984 I dressed in blackface or I I would remember if that was a costume or not. And so I would have been in a position initially to say, yes, this was me. It was a party. It was bad judgment. Blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, et cetera, et cetera. Or to say initially, I don't know where this thing came from. I don't know who this is, but it's not me. But that's not what the guy said at first. He apologized for it. His response initially wasn't, this isn't me. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't, again, I don't want to talk about resignation or not. He'll decide that. I think ultimately he's going to be forced out. But I think the guy is lying through his teeth. I refuse to believe that if you went to a party, senior year of med school, dressed in that costume, that you would not have immediately either been in a position to say, yes, that was me, or no, it wasn't me, as opposed to, well, I was just kind of shocked. I was I was flabbergasted. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When he now says, that's not me, after initially apologizing, do you believe him? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry. I'm just not selling what this guy is. I'm not buying what he is selling. I would remember. And I think most people, you know, in your 20s, if you went dressed like that one way or another, whether it was appropriate or not, you would remember that. 414-799-1620. And now this kind of second or third day denial. Well, upon further reflection, I, I don't think that's me. I'm not buying it. 414-799-1620. Are you? We discuss in just a moment. 1253. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1256. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of our texts are, Jeff, my BS meter is in the burgundy. I remember all my Halloween costumes, and none of them were even close to being that extreme or offensive. I mean, this is just this bizarre story about this governor. Okay, he's now saying, on further consideration, that's not me in that racist photo that appeared on my 1984 medical school yearbook page. Um, but again, it's this this stunning news conference where he admitted, yeah, I, I, I went dressed as Michael Jackson, and yeah, we did this kind of like moonwalk, and he was going to do the moonwalk for reporters until his wife, I think, like kind of grabbed him, and uh, that that's one of the reasons to have your wife at those things to stop you. But this is, I mean, th- this is just so bizarre. Virginia governor on Friday apologizes for appearing in a photograph that featured a man in blackface and a second person in a Ku Klux Klan robe. He didn't say which costume he was wearing, but he said, 
I could not undo the harm my behavior caused then and today. So that's what you say. Now, if somebody shows me a picture and says, okay, Jeff, this is on your yearbook page, and this this is supposedly you at a party, um, first of all, if it's on your yearbook page, that that's kind of we would call overwhelming circumstantial evidence that it's you. But all right, sometimes this stuff gets mixed up. But if you show me that picture, I mean, I remember different Halloween parties. And while I probably can't tell you what Halloween costume I wore to every different party, if I dressed in blackface or went as a KKK guy, I would be able to tell you right away, yes, that's me. Oh, my God, I can't believe that this picture circulated. Or I would be in a position to tell you, this is nuts. This isn't me. I don't know where this is, but I swear it is not me. I am a victim of whatever. But that's not what the Virginia governor did. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry that, uh, you know, my, my poor judgment caused this pain. I'm sorry then and now. But now it's, well, maybe that's not me. Now, what he's obviously hoping is that they're not going to be able to prove it. Now, if, if you were going to try to sell that story, I, I thought maybe he'd come up with the people in the picture. Maybe say, okay, no, this is, this is my buddy Bob and this is my buddy Hank and th- this is them. It's not me. But but he doesn't. He's not able to identify who it is. This is after admitting that he was in it. He he's just figuratively speaking, politically, he's dead man walking. The longer he stays in office, the better it is for Republicans in Virginia. And this comes as the Republican Party had gotten routed in the last election in Virginia. But the big picture is, I, I don't know if the guy's a racist. All I know is, number one, he's one of the worst politicians I've ever seen in my life. And number two, I just think he's a big, fat liar. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, when we come back, I want to talk about Super Bowl ads, but from a different perspective than you're probably going to hear anywhere else. Stick around. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Eric, hang on around for just a minute. Drew, are you surprised that uh, Super Bowl drew the lowest ratings of the last 10 years? No, me neither. I, what, I mean, for number one, people hate the Patriots. So unless you're, in, in, but you're not going to, you're not going to tune in necessarily. They don't have a fan base outside of the Patriots fans. I mean, it's not like like people root for the Packers because of Aaron Rodgers. You know, people vote root for the Cowboys. So n- nobody likes New England unless you're a New England fan. And the Los Angeles Rams, they've been there with their two years. They, they don't have a fan. But they, in LA, right. they don't even care about them. So I mean, it, it's just it, it's no surprise. Okay, Eric. Uh, this is, I mean, I understand that for the day after the Super Bowl, this is the ultimate cliche question on every radio talk show in the country. But I assume you watched the ads. I did. I did. The one or, I, I'm not going to ask people which ads they liked or not. But since you're sitting here, was, were there a couple ads that you found were memorable or that you particularly liked? Yeah, the one that really stuck out to me was the Bud Light ad that also had uh, Game of Thrones connected okay. to it. Right. You know, that's getting a I, I'm, matter of fact, I want to talk about a Bud Light ad in just a minute. But that's... That's getting a lot of attention for okay. Well, you're you're talking about the one where it's a joust and the mm-hmm. Bud Knight, yep. the Bud Light Knight, is jousting and he's cocky and he's going to win and he ends up getting knocked off his horse and then <laughs> then they squish his head. Right, basically, and that which by the way is a parody off of a Game, Game of, of Thrones, Thrones episode. And, right. and then all of a sudden you hear the Game of Thrones music. There's a dragon. You're like, oh, and, okay. And, and then they promote the upcoming. And then the season. dragon lists like torches everything. <laughs> yeah. And and you want that's yeah, like what's going uh, on? Okay, here? well here's I mean there is a actually the Wall Street Journal has a really interesting story. The background of that, um, the 
Okay, see, the, the whole dilly-dilly thing that Bud Light had, that's kind of a takeoff on Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. That, that, that kind of goes back, not that they say dilly-dilly, but that's kind of a, that, that's where that sort of comes from, is, is a knockoff on that. And apparently HBO and the, the Game of Thrones people were looking for a product to go into, you know, to, to do like one of these joint sort of promotions yeah, yeah, on. Yeah. And they considered all sorts of different things. And so then they, they settled on Bud Light. But the deal the deal breaker was you gotta kill the Bud Knight Light. <laughs> that 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 was apparently it. They, that, and so Bud Light initially said yes. And but then you know, they started to get squeamish about this because this is one of their advertising figures as well. And they said, well, could he just, like, lose? Could he just kind of get beaten up? And the HBO people in the game, no, he's he's got to die, and we want him to die in this spectacular fashion. <laughs> so it was, it was interesting to mention that because apparently it was a decision that that generated a lot of heat because because that character is now gone. He, there's not going to be any more ads with the Bud Light Knight. See, but that just makes me laugh because if they made another ad, who's going to care? Who's going to be like, well, wait a minute, they killed him off. It's I, a Bud Light spokesperson. I was wondering also when I saw the dragon come by and like torch everything, <laughs> whether that was just the complete and total end of that whole campaign, which which I find to be a little more than a little annoying. Anyhow, it wouldn't, right, have, broken my, say, it wouldn't have broken my heart. But but <laughs> not, apparently they haven't ended the campaign. But the Bud Light Knight character is gone. gone. That was the deal that okay. he he gets killed at the Super Bowl. Um, so that one I don't think did very well on the ad meter well, it's for so USA violent. Today. It's all, I mean, it's just, I mean, you can kind of hear that crunching as they're <laughs> killing the guy. I mean, okay, for people yeah. that have morbid sense of humor. Okay, what else? Anything else that struck uh, you That one's got the Amazon one I thought was pretty good about how they were trying to come up with different ways to sell products like they had the toothbrush and then the dog had the right. collar and you had Harrison Ford in there and right. Forrest Whitaker or whatever. So the, yeah, that one, I, I like that one stuck out. Um, any others that just off the top of my head? I kind of like the M&M one, though, yeah, with, oh, sure. uh, with yeah, Christina. With Applegate, where she's yeah. like the kid, stop it, you know, or I'm yep. going to eat you whole right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, there's always something weird with those Eminem guys there and everyone. Right. Uh, the Dorito one with uh, the Backstreet Boys, that one didn't really do much for me. Um, the uh, the Warhol one. Oh, which which <laughs> is really, which, that really is Andy Warhol, you <laughs> I know. know. And I laughed at it. It was so silly and weird. But I was like, what, what am I watching? Right, right. They, apparently, they dug out that film from, I think it's like 1968. He's having and, trouble with the ketchup. Right. I mean, and, it, and I, I mean, I was wondering, okay, it's obviously an ad for Burger King, but it's also, I mean, for Heinz, you know? I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that was that was all sorts of free stuff for Heinz. Okay, well, let me ask you what I am what I want to talk okay. about with everybody okay. else. And, and it, is the, it is the Bud Light. It's one of the Bud Light ads. And it was the other... It's the one where they, they go after Miller Lite and Coors Light. Do you, corn syrup. Right. You remember the thing? It's yeah. like somebody delivers this giant oversized barrel of corn syrup to the castle, and they say, no, 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 it's, it's not us because Bud Light is not brewed with corn syrup. Right. And so then they go on this... They, they this lengthy trek to get to the castle where they make Miller Lite and Miller Lite says no we already have ours and then they go to, to Coors Light oh, you know yeah oh yep yep seen it yep. okay did you think that was an effective ad I I guess what what gave me pause was that I never really realized that beer had to be like a healthy thing <laughs> you know what I mean when we're talking about beer and I get the whole less calories and all that thing that Miller Lite and Bud Light right. have gone on back and forth on but I. When did beer have to become healthy where I got to worry about corn syrup in my I, beer? Well, that see, that was my take. I'm watching this. 
And of course, I'm I'm always I'm amazed at how much money that people spend on on these ads and things like that. And one of the big beefs that I always have, and I didn't so much this year. A lot of times with the Super Bowl ads, you watch them and they're creative. At the end of the at the end of the thing, you say, "What was that an ad for?" <laughs> right. And I, I, I would say, if, if if Good Karma decided they want to spend a million dollars to promote the Jeff Wagner show at next year's Super Bowl, I guarantee you, you'd know that that was the Jeff Wagner oh, yeah. show. Oh, would, yeah. You know, the, but but I, I didn't actually notice that that much this year. But I, I had the same reaction. I. I am a beer drinker, and I understand that Bud Light is coming out with, like, the nutrition things on the labels. Yes, yes. But I'm with you. I never thought of beer as particularly a health food. <laughs> and I, I guess they, they use the corn syrup to activate the yeast is, is mm-hmm. apparently what they do. Um, I, I guess – would I be less likely to drink Miller Light or Coors Light because they use – corn syrup to activate the yeast and of course, they don't explain what that is but it's not like they're saying oh you're finding dead rodents you know here, right, here yeah, we've got right. a wagon full of dead rodents here let's take them over because that's what they put in miller light well, and now now corn growers are getting upset yep. about this calling out uh, bud light for doing that for for shedding poor light on the corn growers association and what they're trying to do yes okay so i i just I thought that was odd. And this is, I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's always, you know, winners and there's losers with the ads. That ad, if you saw it, a direct attack. And by the way, Miller Lite doesn't advertise during the Super Bowl. I mean, they don't They don't spend that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was, by doing this particular ad, you gave your principal competition you gave them, I don't know, num- number one, a lot of attention, and you also gave them essentially all this free publicity that you know they're getting by being talked about on programs like this the, the following day. But maybe I'm missing something. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This particular Bud Light ad, the one that went after Miller and went after Coors, I get it's Miller Coors, but Miller Light and, and Coors Light, that went after it saying, okay, they're, they're using corn syrup in their beer. Does that make you less likely to want to buy those other beers? Um, I, I didn't. I didn't think it was particularly clever, and I thought, as far as an attack ad goes, it was pretty weak. Tea four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. How did you react to this? We're back to discuss in just a minute. It's one sixteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One nineteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, here's the. The internal email from Miller Coors, and look, I'm not carrying water from Miller Coors. I just thought, I just thought it was a dumb ad, that Bud Light ad, where they're now talking about like corn syrup. And, and candidly, somebody said this on one of my tweets. I actually thought it would have been good if the Game of Thrones dragon had come over and just like incinerated that whole big train. We could see if like corn syrup like bursts into flame. But but here's here's what they say. This is Miller Coors. That not, not one single Miller Coors beer uses high fructose corn syrup. Foreign-owned AB InBev has decided to intentionally mislead the American consumers to think it's used in Miller Coors products. Corn syrup is used, which is different than high fructose corn syrup. Corn syrup is used while Budweiser uses ripe rice syrup. It's an inferior product. Corn syrup is not the same as high fructose corn syrup. Miller Coors does not use any high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, like it. So this is like one of these political ads where it's it's just. 
I, I don't even know if it's true. I'm not sure we're passed on the truth meter. And that's always been my understanding. They they don't put it in the beer. What they do is it it, it helps fermentation. They they use it for the yeast, and you know they add it to the yeast. And um, I, I think the ad was misleading. But but beyond that, I thought the ad was just a bad just a bad ad. The, this thing that like attacking. Miller Coors and attacking Miller Lite, to, to me, all you did was you gave your opponents, well, you, you, just, you just gave them all sorts of free advertising, which is just beyond me. Here's another text. Yep, another dumb Bud Light ad. Wish the dragon would have incinerated the corn syrup barrel procession, too. I, I just If you're going to spend all this money, you, you just have to wonder, why are we picking this particular fight, especially... If you're trying to pick this fight on on information that is, let's say it's misleading at best and, and might ultimately be false, if you're, you know, again trying to cause people to believe that high fructose corn syrup, which I I, I know that that's an issue, and I know there's people out there that you know, are making intentional efforts to try to avoid that for health reasons or whatever. But if that's not the same thing as corn syrup, and if, you know, your product uses rice syrup and theirs uses corn syrup, and you're running this big ad to make people think that, you know, they're using a product that they're not, and somehow it's not healthy, not that I think of beer as a health food anyways, it it just, I think this is one where, again, from the big picture, the, the Bud Light folks, Really, really, really missed the boat. It's 123. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One twenty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One final thought on that that ad, uh, Jeff. The ad was misleading and made me angry. I'm a brewer. Corn syrup is a sugar source consumed by yeast to produce alcohol. That's the fermentation process. In the same way, rice is used by Budweiser to suggest there is corn syrup, and the final product is is ludicrous. And of course, again, that the corn syrup that they use to to sort of like stimulate the yeast that that's not. That's different. That's completely different than, or at least it's different than the high fructose corn syrup that is such a health concern, at least from so many people. I just, I, I just thought it was a really cheap shot. But from an advertising perspective, it just it made no sense to me to pick a fight with your principal competitors, who, by the way, aren't spending millions of dollars to advertise on the Super Bowl. Why? Why give them a mention? All right, interesting story that is breaking today, and it, it's no surprise. We, we talked about this last week. Gannett, which is the sort of struggle, it is the struggling newspaper company that now owns the local newspaper, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The, the, the history of the paper originally, it was owned by Journal Communications and then spun off into a separate company when the radio and TV stations that I work for were, were sold. And then it was ultimately gobbled up by Gannett, which is USA Today, and a number of papers. It is a very, very difficult time in the newspaper industry. Um, we've talked about this before. Classified ads are, are essentially non-existent. The, they're, they're hemorrhaging subscribers to the print editions of the paper. They haven't figured out a way to monetize the digital stuff to make up for all the money that they've lost. And, you know, as subscribers go down, your ability to charge more for print ads goes down as well. So it's it's this vicious, vicious cycle. And so what's been happening both at the local newspaper and at newspapers all over the country is the way they've been responding is just by laying off people right and left to the point that there's not – 
too many people left anymore to be, you know, reporting on on the news. That's just kind of the reality, and it's an unfortunate thing. Well, anyways, the story was that what happened was there is a company, it's a media company called um, Digital First Media, and they they are a hedge fund. What they are is they're a company that buys up newspapers and then just cuts them to their bare bones, even more so than's going on in the rest of the industry. And they made an offer to buy the Gannett chain of newspapers. Now, this was looked on with dread by a lot of people in Milwaukee because Gannett has been gutting the local newspaper. And the idea was, boy, if this company takes over, you haven't seen anything yet. So they made an offer that the stock, I think at the time, that they made the offer, it was like $9.75, and they offered like close to $12 a share, something like that. So what you know, a number of people thought, well, okay, at least for the shareholders, this might be good. Well, the, the folks at Gannett, they, they – they, some people on the board of directors and all, they don't want to lose their gig. So they said, well, we don't think this offer is good enough. And what they ended up doing is they ended up turning turning down the offer. They said, okay, we don't think this is good enough. We don't think it's real. We don't think you have the money to do this. So we're we're not going to voluntarily sell. Well, I mean, again, now the thing is, well, that's good because you're, you're not going to have the, the massive cutting that would happen if this first digital bought it. But what it really is going to do now is it's going to lead to, again, perhaps a hostile takeover because if digital first media is sincere about wanting to buy this and they're realistically offering 12 bucks a share, my guess is there's all sorts of shareholders of Gannett who are probably saying, well, gee, the, the stock offer was $9. We, the stock was worth nine seventy five before this company came in. They're offering to pay 12 That guarantees that we can make some money on this because, boy, maybe the chances are it's just as likely to go down to 7 as it is to go up to 12. So this is not – what I'm saying is this is not over. The board of directors, and this happens in almost every situation, they say, well, we're not going to sell. We're going to fight this. If If digital first media is sincere, though, about wanting to push it, um, it could, I think, very, very well, hap- well happen. Digital media, on the other hand, might say, okay, well, all right, we'll, we'll back off. Just we'll now make some money by just making the offer. We made some money because we've raised the share price. Be interesting to see how this plays out. But for people who thought this was a done deal, the answer is no. For people who think that this means that nothing's going to happen and the newspaper's not going to be sold, well, the answer to that is no as well. All right, when we come back, I want to switch gears. And I sent this out and a link to the story out on, on my Twitter account. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. It is the rallying cry for Democrats for the 2020 election. It is Medicare for all. I don't think you know what that really means. And I want to explain it and I want to discuss it with you. Stick around. One thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Melissa Barclay, I've asked you to stick around because I have a question. Sure. And, and we don't talk about this. Is, yeah, see, I, this is kind of like my producer grooves behind the glass window going, can you tell Melissa what you're going to ask her? And the answer is no, I, <laughs> no, I don't. don't. All right. Okay, th- this is, we're, we're switching gears. This is not an embarrassing question, I don't think. Um, you, have, you have health insurance, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Are you happy with your health insurance? Mm, that's a good question. I would say no. Okay, tell me why. Well, I think 
there are a lot of high deductibles nowadays. Mine isn't really that high, but I think it does, um, I guess... I don't go to the doctor as often as I would like to. Okay. If I if I have a certain problem okay. or a condition, like, I, like I'd like like to go to the chiropractor a little bit more. Okay. But I can only afford so much. So okay. So yeah, that's kind of the, the thing. I mean, it's, not, it's not horrible insurance, but right. it's so I, I would like you'd like the things. deductibles to be a little bit lower. I, correct. As far as the overall access to doctors though, and care and things like that, you satisfied? I think so. I don't go to the doctor honestly that often. Okay. So just yearly exams, stuff like that. Okay. So I'm fairly happy with that. Okay, good enough. All right, see, that wasn't no, that well. Right. Now, I bring this up because in 2020, I predict that anybody who ultimately secures the Democratic nomination for president is going to be running on a platform that includes Medicare for all. That, that was, you know, that's, you know, you can call Medicare for all or socialized medicine or, or whatever. But Medicare for All essentially involves taking the private insurance world out of, of the whole healthcare thing. So, you know, you could call it socialized medicine or whatever. So you won't get your insurance through private companies. It will all, the government will have a massive bureaucracy that will determine, you know, what's covered, what's not, what the deductibles are, what, what they aren't. Etc. Etc. So you will get you will get all your insurance, all your health care will be through the government. They estimate that the cost this will it will increase federal spending by at least two point five trillion dollars a year. Two point five trillion dollars. And that estimate might be low because the estimates that come up and say two point five trillion that's based on saying, oh, the government could do things more efficiently than the private sector could, and, and we'd be able to have cost savings here or there or the other. Well, maybe, maybe not. So $2.5 trillion increased federal spending is, is kind of like the, the low end of that. Now, here's why I, I bring this all up. Right now, if you look at the insurance, if you look at the, the way health care is passed out, Fifty-five percent of people in this country get health insurance provided through their employer. So, you know, you, you work for the place like, like I do. You know, the, the employer pays a pretty good percentage of the cost, and, and you pay for the rest. And, and by the way, I, I actually, I'm, I'm very pleased with our insurance. I mean, I, I just, I think you know, the folks at Good Karma and the folks at Scripps, who I worked before, I, I think have done a, a really good job. I'm, I, am, I am satisfied. There's a reasonable deductible. Once you satisfy the deductible, everything's covered. But 55% of people get their insurance through their employer, who then contracts with a private insurance provider, all right? On top of that, okay, 19.5% of the people in this country, another, let's round up to 20%, they get their insurance through Medicaid, all right? Another 16% get their insurance through Medicare. So Medicare, you know, services about 16% of the people. But here's the interesting deal on Medicare. Of the people that are eligible for Medicare, about a third about 33%, they don't get Medicare. They get Medicare Advantage. Now, Drew, you probably, since you're a long way off, you know, your eyes glaze over when you hear Medicare and Medicare Advantage. Medicare 
is the program for for people 65 and older that's run by the government. Medicare Advantage is an alternative to Medicare that is run by private insurers. So it's people who have opt-outs, the wrong phrase, but as an alternative to Medicare, they're getting private insurance through Medicare Advantage. Why would they do that? Because in their particular situations, it might cover more than Medicare offers. There might be added benefits to that, et cetera, et cetera. So even among the people who are on Medicare, a third of them don't have Medicare. They have Medicare Advantage, which is run by the private insurers. So you start adding this up, and and what we find is that the number of people who are on Medicare are actually, percentage-wise, relatively small. And most people get their insurance, even a good percentage of the people who are on Medicare don't get their insurance as part of Medicare. it's, It's the Medicare Advantage plan. When people talk about this Medicare for all, what they are saying is we're going to take the private insurance system, 55 percent, 150 million people or whatever, who get their insurance, and we're going to say that's not going to be how it works anymore. So if you like your insurance now, you are out of luck. You're not going to have that anymore. If you like your Medicare Advantage plan, if you're a senior and you've chosen Medicare Advantage, you're not going to be able to have that. That's going to be gone. I don't say this with certainty, but when you ask me what about the supplements, you know, because a lot of people don't have Medicare Advantage, but they might be on Medicare and then they have various supplements to pick up where Medicare leaves off. You know, maybe Medicare only pays 80%, so you have a supplement that's Blue Cross Blue Shield or something. Uh, My understanding is that would be gone too. Medicare for all means exactly that. It means Medicare for all. It means no more private insurance companies, no more Medicare Advantage plans, no more supplement plans. It means everybody gets the stuff through the government. And it is the government that sets out the regulations. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Of all the different issues and stuff that are being thrown around, like for example, do, do I think it's a do I think it's a good idea to take people who make ten million dollars or fifty million dollars and tax them at seventy percent? No. I don't, but I, I, I'm never going to make $10 million a year. I'm never going to make $70 million a year. That is just a theoretical thing. We all need and use health insurance. And I understand sometimes people's you know eyes glaze over, but here's really the fundamental thing. Do you really want to take the insurance that you now have through your private employer and say, I'm not going to have it anymore? Remember, if you want to keep your doctor, you can. No, we know that's not true. If you want to keep your health plan, you you can. Do you really want to give that up? And if you're a senior citizen and you've made the decision that, hey, I I, I want to have my Medicare Advantage plan. I'd rather, rather than going through Medicare, I want to go through one of the private companies because I think it does better. Do you want to give that up? Do we really want to have the government run health insurance? My answer would be, I understand maybe it has this sort of simplistic appeal. My answer is not just no, it's hell no. 414-799-1620. Are you really willing to give up your private health insurance? Do you really think that you would be materially better off? 414-799-1620. 
We discuss in just a moment. It's 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Medicare for all is going to be the rallying cry for any Democrat that gets the nomination in 2020. And, and I think that's interesting because, I mean, the real question is 60% of Americans get their insurance through their employer. Right? And nobody likes to pay for health insurance. I, I, I get it. And everybody would like to have all this stuff for free. But there is no free lunch. Medicare of the people that are on Medicare, a third are eligible for Medicare. A third of the people don't have Medicare. They're, they're in Medicare Advantage, which is private insurance that, that is out there. And um, for people who are in Medicare, you have, you have a lot of people have supplements. If you do Medicare for all and essentially get rid of all the private insurers, and that's what they're talking about, um, it, it would be one size fits all, but... You wouldn't have any of these other options. Do you really want to give up your insurance? 414-799-1620. Let's see. Uh, my parents are on Medicare's text, but still carry a secondary to cover additional costs. If they blow up private health care, there will be no secondary insurance, and that would be bad news. Yeah. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, who tried this out over the weekend, she was upfront about it. They said, okay, is there going to be any role under your plan, Medicare for all, any role for private insurance company? Since she said, well, you know, maybe if you wanted cosmetic insur- surgery, if you want to get your nose fixed, well, maybe then. But but other than that, she, she would put all the insurance companies out of business. Do we really need to do that? 414-799-1620. Tim in Stevens Point. Tim, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Thanks Tim. for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have insurance through my employer. Right. In 2008, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. Um, she's a survivor. However, I had great insurance. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that my insurer did not pay, and I had to fight um Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things about private insurance is the insurance companies are answering to their shareholders. They're, they are there for profit in their bottom line. If I go and I have a procedure done in Boston and I have a procedure done in Los Angeles, it's two different prices. Right. It always it depends upon what the market can bear. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's one of the things that, that private insurance, I think, is a problem. Is again, they're, sh- they're answering to their shareholders. I think if you look at, you know, public um, insurance for all, you know, there are people that have procedures and then they can't pay for it. So who? So in the end, ultimately, we end up paying for them. And so I, I think you also need to look at the at the side of, uh, you know, the if we have this, then you know it'll be more general and more uh, the same all around as opposed to, you know, price gouging. Because you go to the hospital and they're going to do something. They don't tell you that, you know, this is going to cost you $800 or whatever. They're just going to build the insurance company and you have to deal with it later. Well, I mean, so it's okay. another side of it. No, no, and I appreciate that. But I mean, here, I mean, here, I guess, see, the bottom line is, and, and maybe this comes from my perspective as somebody who also was in a health situation, in, you know, where we're talking about massive expenses. I, 
I, I mean, other after satisfying the deductible, I mean, my experience with our insurance was, you know, pretty much everything w- was was covered in a really kind of catastrophic situation, and you know, there there was flexibility. I I don't know. I guess I don't buy this idea that if the government is going to run it, it is necessarily going to be more efficient. Now, I understand that there's different types of insurance policies and there's different employers that pay different amounts and there's going to be different stuff that's covered and all that. But that, to me, I I guess I don't know that I think the one size fits all thing is is the best of circumstances. And as far as costs, like I say, everybody understands we are talking about trillions of extra dollars of government spending that's going to have to come from somewhere. Is it going to be, I don't know, a huge payroll tax that is put on employers? Is it going to be, you know, increasing the cost? And I guess here's the bottom line. I guess I don't know, and I'm not at all convinced, that the vast majority of people are unsatisfied with the insurance that they have and the present system. Do we really, and do we have issues? Of course. You know, the whole thing with pre-existing illnesses, I get all that. But are we really at a point where we want to blow up our entire healthcare system on this idea that, well, you know, okay, this, this is, this might provide, I don't know, some better coverage for some people. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us talk to, uh, let's see, Mary in Thienesville. Hi, Mary. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Two years ago, I had private insurance and I have cystic fibrosis. It's a hereditary illness, mm-hmm. something from birth. Um, and yes, I am a senior now. So at 65, I go on Medicare. I am no longer covered under the programs that I was covered on before because now it's called um, government insurance. Right. So I am paying $1,000 per month per medication. I have four medications I have to have to breathe. <laughs> and that's all because it's a government program. Heck, no, I don't want to have any more of this here. I would go back to my old insurance in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, a lot better. Well, and see, and I, I think a lot of people are like that. To me, and, and I don't I don't want to turn this into the lengthy discussion of the difference between like Medicare and Medicare Advantage, but there's a lot of reasons why more and more people are jumping on the Medicare Advantage plans as seniors because um, that that's private insurance as opposed to as opposed to Medicare itself. Um, right. Th- right th- again, and, and that and let's be clear, that goes away. That's one of the questions sometimes reporters don't want to ask, but almost everybody that's honest about it is, no, we're, we're getting rid of, we're getting rid of the private insurance industry. That, that's gone. Uh, hi, Jeff. I am a, on Medicare recipient. Of course I pay for it every month. I also have a supplement, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield. There's no way that I want private insurance done away with and to leave it to the government. All you have to do is look at the last government shutdown to even consider that. The current government cannot manage to govern, much less be responsible for my health care and that of the people that I love. Ah, that's how I see it. 153, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I I understand that that there is this appeal. We all want free stuff. Well, that this is, you know, why should you have to pay for your health insurance? Or, you know, here, you you had to pay a a deductible or you, you fight this battle. But so you hear this Medicare for all thing and people, oh, that sounds good. Well, okay. First of all, I think for a lot of people, and my hand is up in the air, I'm re- I am satisfied with the the health insurance that I get through my employer. There's, I you know, do do you wish it was cheaper? Yes, you do. Do you wish you didn't have deductibles? Well, yeah, but but at the same time, 
it, there's always going to be a cost to everything, even with the people who are on Medicare. I mean, most most of those folks, because of all the different costs that are involved and the fact that Medicare doesn't cover everything, you know, they have they have Medicare supplements or 33 percent of the people don't have don't have it through the government. They have the Medicare Advantage plans because it's a better deal financially. That This idea that it's going to be free, like I say, the estimates are the first 10 years, it's going to be at least $32 trillion, That is T as in trillion dollars. That money is going to have to come from somewhere. Plus, you don't know about all the other related things like, right, what, what if doctors just decide, all right, we're, we're not going to participate in this system anymore. We're... Where is that going to end up going? And are you really that unsatisfied? And I guess I go back to this basic premise. Remember the big lie at the beginning of the Barack Obama administration. If you like your health care system, you can keep it. No. If you like your doctor, you can keep him. No. That's just not how this worked out. So when you hear people throwing this idea around of Medicare for all, let's have socialized medicine, do I think the current health care system still has problems? Yeah. The biggest one being, I guess, costs, and the second biggest being you know, making sure the pre-existing conditions are covered, or you can flip those around. But can't you deal with that without blowing up the system and turning it into a government-run program? Because candidly, you know, Medicare might be great, but does everybody need to have Medicare? Does everybody want to have it, given the fact that a good percentage of the people who are on Medicare choose to have something different? It's 158. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, well, we're going to talk about a high school basketball issue, but before that, the city of Milwaukee finally, finally, finally decides to do something that I have been talking about for Well, since I started this radio show, the question is going to be what took them so long and why are they still dragging their feet? Stick around. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, if you go out, let's say you have a small boat that has one of those like like, kind of like porta-potties on it. You go out into Lake Michigan and you take that little porta-potty and you dump it into Lake Michigan with just a little bit of stuff that's in the porta potty and the Coast Guard catches you or the Department of Natural Resources catches you, you are in a world, a world of hurt. You will be fined. All sorts of bad things will happen to you for polluting the lake. And you know what? I have no sympathy. You shouldn't be dumping your porta potty into Lake Michigan. However, if you are the Metropolitan Milwaukee Sewage District and it rains and the deep tunnel fills up, Rather than having stuff back into people's basement, what do they do? They dump. They dump thousands of gallons of sometimes, you know, blended sewage. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, we've told this story before. If I'm in a bathtub and there's a bunch of water, I I don't want to have, I don't know, that water also be occupied with blended stuff, meaning... I don't know, some of those floaters from people's toilets or things like that. I don't mean to be graphic, but you don't want to be with blended blended stuff is dumping poop into Lake Michigan. And they've been doing that for years. Now, we have reviewed this bidding before on, on many occasions. The, the biggest problem that you have, what we, we used to have 
all sorts of sewer overflows. It would rain hard and the sewers would overflow or they'd back up into people's basements and cause millions of dollars of damage. And that is unacceptable. So the idea was we there was one of two ways that you could go. You could either build the deep tunnel, this really, 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 really big tunnel that would collect water when it rained. And the idea would be it would hold the water, and then ultimately we treat the water and then send it back to Lake Michigan or or whatever. That was one alternative. The problem is that when it rains really, really hard, the deep tunnel is not big enough. You can't build a tunnel that's big enough and deep enough to take care of all the water that comes in. So we have this system now where when you get heavy rainfalls, What happens is the deep tunnel fills up, and once it gets to X percentage of being full, what they do is they start dumping it. That's just because they don't want to have the stuff back up. They don't want to have flooding. And I've I've never criticized that. I mean, I just I don't want to see millions of dollars of sewage pouring into people's basement. The problem all along has been that the deep tunnel was a flawed concept. And I say that because the reason you have overflows is because in a portion of the city of Milwaukee and in a good portion of Shorewood, you have the storm sewers, you know, the water that comes down and runs off of people's roof and, you know, then it runs into the street. The storm sewers and the sanitary sewers, your bathtubs, your toilets, your showers, they are connected. And so all the water from people's toilets, for example, the sanitary sewers, that mixes in with the water from the storm sewers, and it all goes into the deep tunnel to be treated. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong, I guess, with treating storm water runoff because it the, the rainwater lands on your roof and it picks up a little bit of dirt. And, and so there, there's nothing wrong with, with treating that per se, but it doesn't have to be done. And in a lot of places don't do it. In contrast, the stuff from your sanitary sewers, well, that needs to be treated. But what happens is because we made the decision to build a deep tunnel instead of separating the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers, what now happens is all the poop and the stuff from the sanitary sewers in Milwaukee and Shorewood, it mixes in with all the rainwater, and it all goes into the deep tunnel, where the truth is only the stuff from the sanitary sewers really needs to go into the deep tunnel or be treated. So, But that's not the system that we have. And because of that decision that we're not that we made years and years ago, that we're not going to separate the storm sewers in Milwaukee and the storm sewers and sanitary sewers in Shorewood, we've been stuck with this deep tunnel. And I, I never, like I say, fault the deep tunnel folks, the folks at MMSD, when they, they do their dumping or their blending or whatever, they're, they're doing the best they can with a system that is inherently flawed. The answer, and I've argued this for years and years, all along, has been simply to bite the bullet and to separate 
the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers in Milwaukee and Shorewood. Matter of fact, I, I sent out a tweet. Uh, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And uh, one of the people that responded was my dear friend Bill Barra, who used to be the news director at Channel 4. He retired about a year ago. He was vice president of news in, in Tampa. But he sent me this note. He said, this issue you're going to be talking about, that was the first story I covered when I was a reporter at WTMJ4, and that was in 1975. So, I mean, th- this is not... This is not a new issue. This is something that's been known for decades and decades and decades. But we have the, this deep tunnel that works fine most of the time. But it doesn't work well when you get the heavy rainstorms. And then it results in this massive pollution of Lake Michigan. And again, I don't fault the people at MMSD. They're doing the best they can with it, this flawed system. They're doing what they have to do. But especially... In these current climate, if you believe in climate change, you're thinking, well, we're going to have more of this monster rainstorms and things. It's probably only going to get worse. And we've never, we being the city of Milwaukee, has never wanted to spend the money. And Shorewood, which is willing to spend money on pretty much every cockamamie idea there is, but they've never wanted to spend the money to do what's needed to be done all along, which is to separate the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers so the storm water that doesn't need to be treated, doesn't have to pour into the deep tunnel. And the stuff that does need to be treated does. Well, here's the story. The city of Milwaukee is finally, that's my word, starting a program estimated to cost $7 million over the next six years to disconnect downspouts in areas of the city affecting about 50,000 property owners. These are the downspouts that take the rainwater from, like, your roof and dump it directly into the combined sewer system. Uh, the aim is to detach downspouts from homes and some apartments served by combined sanitary and storm sewers and keep as much rainwater as possible out of the sewer system, to which I say no kidding. Actually, I'd use another word, but we'll just say no kidding. Uh, the city sent letters to affected property owners in recent weeks saying it would start the disconnections later this year. To those affected, this is Journal Sentinel story, the city says in the first two years of the program, it will provide contractors to do the work or compensate owners if they want to take it on themselves. Uh, and then it goes on to talk a little bit about this. The district reported six combined sewer overflows in 2018. Uh, and then it talks about how the city's going to hire contractors who will make the disconnections. Property owners who want to do the work will receive $50 for one downspout, but no more than $100 for disconnecting additional downspouts. The city estimates that 55% of the properties can have disconnections made. All right, so they're finally, finally saying, all right, no, we want to encourage people to do this. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Yes, here's my point about this. This is something that we should have, we collectively, this community, should have required to have been done decades ago. Right? we, We should have done that. And this idea that now, okay, we're going to encourage people to do this and we're going to start the program. It's great that they are starting the program. I guess what troubles me a bit is there doesn't appear to be any realistic sense of urgency uh, about this. To me, this should be a priority. And especially, 
especially if we're talking $50 for a downspout, you know, and if you've got multiple ones, you know, up to 100 I mean, look, given all the things that we spend money on around here, th- this is chump change. It's just, it's absolute chump change. Shorewood still doesn't have its act together. I guess one of the things that I think is so interesting is we have all these people who live in the city of Milwaukee and in Shorewood who are environmentally sensitive, et cetera, et cetera, and, and yet we continue to use this as one of the major reasons why when it rains really hard, as it does occasionally, we continue to pollute the lake. This should have been done decades ago. And I think it's great that they're doing it. But, all right, you're going to get a letter later on this year. This is something that homeowners should be required to do by the end of the year. This is not also, by the way, separating storm sewers from sanitary sewers. This isn't something that's. it's not like you're talking about, I don't know, relaying all sorts of water lines or things like that. In most cases, my understanding is this is just going to be dumped out into your yard. And there's some places where you can't do it. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is so incredibly over. Is it a good thing? Yes. Am I am glad they are starting to do it? Yes. But baby steps? Why do we have baby steps in this thing? Aren't you tired of seeing Lake Michigan polluted? And if one of the causes, it's not the exclusive cause of overflows, but if one major cause is every time it rains, you have all this rainwater that is pouring into the combined sewer system, isn't it time to get this fixed right away? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The city of Milwaukee is finally, finally, finally saying, well, you know what? If you have a storm sewer that's connected to the sanitary sewers, we, we, we are going to give you 50 bucks uh, and we're going to hire contractors and we're going to start separating. That is great news. My question, number one, is what took so long and, and why aren't we doing this citywide right away? Why isn't this a priority? Here's a text. Jeff. They should have done this before they built the trolley. Well, yes, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, John. Um, I got uh, several properties in Milwaukee, and I got notices in the mail that we are now required on the downspouts of our gutter systems to um, go somewhere other than the set drain system right. that feeds to the city sewer. Right. Um, that is the worst idea in the world because the city of Milwaukee um, is basically a large parking lot. Anything that does not go into that uh, sewer system immediately, the way that it's piped up right now, will run off and eventually go down the sewer drains and with it will drag more trash and more garbage down into the sewer system. So it's actually not going to serve the purpose that they're looking for. It's actually going to make it worse. Well, see, I, and, and a lot of people would disagree. They say what the idea is that it, the, the ground will soak up a lot of that water, just like it, that. And that's the, that's the plan before they completely replumb. It's let, let's have the um, ground soak it up. I would agree with you if all the properties in Milwaukee had lawns. Mm-hmm. Most of them, especially on the south side and the north side where the where the housing population is very, very dense, they don't. It's concrete all the way around these houses. 
and these houses are literally feet apart from each other, now you're asking yourself to dump your rainwater directly onto your neighbor's house because it's literally two feet away, and they're going to be complaining because now they have water intrusion issues in their basement because you can not, not go directly down to the sewer system anymore. Well, and I mean... Well, John, I mean, thanks. Well, no, I'll tell you, I mean, here, here's what the city says about that. that th- this program doesn't cover all the properties that have the, the sanitary sewers combined with the storm sewers. What they say is that, it, it first of all, they will not approve disconnections on those properties where the water spills onto the sidewalks, um, is too close to a foundation, or is too close to a property line and causes a nuisance to the neighbor. They estimate that that's about half of the properties. Right? For the other half, the idea is dump it out into the front lawn, dump it out into the back lawn, dump it out somewhere where, where it's going to be soaked up. And, and again, I understand it, it's not a perfect solution given the way this stuff is plumbed. But what we're doing now, just it just doesn't work. It, it, just, it just doesn't work because you, you have these overflows. And again, let's, let's, let's go the global warming route. I understand some people are deniers or whatever. But if, if you believe the folks that talk about climate change, what they're saying is that we're going to have more and more of these extremes. That would be more and more heavy rainstorms, more and more periods of snowfall or whatever, which means if you believe that, that the chances are that we're going to have these, I don't know, these hundred-year rainfalls and these hundred-year floods no, every two or three years, which is going to lead to more dumping. And again, it's not a perfect solution, and they're not going to be doing this with all of them, but the ones where, hey, you can put it out into a front yard or a backyard, those are the ones that they're going to try to concentrate on. And to me, that makes sense. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. You know, think of how many of us have gone swimming and have peed in the lake or stream. <laughs> now, if you're out fishing on Lake Michigan and you off the side of your boat, the DNR is going to give you a ticket. A big ticket, yep. Yeah, so <laughs> why isn't the DNR stepping up to the plate? I fund them with hunting and fishing licenses, and they're, they're well-funded. They got brand-new trucks and high-tech equipment. So well, I think they need to step up to the plate. The other thing is there's so much more going into the lakes than just sewage. I can remember going out there fishing a couple days after a heavy rainstorm, and this is disgusting. I saw this island of condoms and yep. sewage and yep how disgusting and we're drinking water out of that oh we're right e- exactly and and and, and thanks and again see and i i some people criticize mmsd when this stuff happens i'm not that guy because they're they're dealing with a flawed system that you know what should they shouldn't be having the the rainwater mixing in with the the sanitary water that's just not the way it should have been designed it's not the way it's not what should have happened in the beginning but people in the city of Milwaukee had political clout people in Shorewood had political clout and by building the deep tunnel you were able to spread the cost around to the suburbs and things like that and by the way like I said earlier it's not a bad idea necessarily in some areas to treat you know storm runoff it's not a bad idea but it doesn't have to be done Paul in Waukesha Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Paul. Uh, you're right on in this subject. Um, separation should have been done years ago. And and as you state, it is a politicians, you know, in Milwaukee and Sherwood that don't want to get inconvenience their constituents or raise taxes, mm-hmm. you know, right. to do it. You know, and that's a built-in. So how, how and it isn't a crisis now, and people don't really think about it so that's a tough one i'm wondering um 
either how you can generate political pressure or are there other funding sources that that could help with this you know to get it moving because it well well what's i mean thanks i mean what what's motivate thanks i mean what's motivating this is the, the folks at mmsd i i think first of all there, there is i think a change in political a- approach as you look at at pollute the, all the pollution that's going on with Lake Michigan. Secondly, I think people are concerned that you're going to see more of these 100-year rainfalls that are going to happen on a regular basis and that this, I understand we've had some years recently where you haven't had it, but you've had some years where you've had several. And I think there's concern that you know, you got to get a handle on this. So right now, the idea is we're going to do this gradually. To me, it would be, let, let's forget this gradual. You know, we've been fooling around with this for decades. Like I say, my friend who you know, was covering news here in 1975 says, this was the first story I did in 75. Well, 40-some years later, it is still a problem. I'm glad to see they're attacking it. They need to attack it more quickly. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two thirty-five. Jeff Wright, WTMJ. All right. I'm a Nicolay Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, proud graduate of Nicolay High School in Glendale. Nicolay is a basketball, or at least this year, they've become a high school basketball powerhouse. They're amazingly, they're a Division II school, and uh, right now this year, I was trying to figure it out because they had a game canceled last week because of the weather. They're they're like fifteen and one. Their only loss came early in the year to a, um, let's see, where did they lost? A, a team from Fairfax, Virginia, in a tournament, um, D.C. National Hoop Fest, on December 9th. So that's the only game that they have lost. They currently play in the, the North Shore Conference. And, and let me just give you an idea of what they are doing to teams in the North Shore Conference. Most recently, they played Slinger at Slinger, uh, they won 81 to 36. Before that, they played Hartford, beat Hartford 81 to 36. Then they played Cedarburg, beat Cedarburg 86 to 37. You get the idea. Uh, played West Bend. Let's see. Uh, all right. They played West Bend. When they played West Bend at West Bend, they won 78 to 66. So that was a 12 point win. The rematch when they play, let's see. Then there's another game. 100 to 52, they beat West Bend West. So I, you know, the, you get the idea. They are a dominant powerhouse. They are crushing teams and they're, they're, they might be one of the top 10 teams in the country or the top 15 teams. They're, they're an amazing team. All right. So all, all credit. Now here's where the issue gets interesting. As a matter of fact, I was, I was talking to somebody at a party from, from Nicolet. Uh, not that long ago, or I should say whose kids go to Nicolet. What's happened is the reason that Nicolet is such a powerhouse is you have had several superstar Wisconsin athletes who have in the last year transferred from the schools that they were at to Nicolet to play for Nicolet. And what's happened is the Nicolet boys basketball team has essentially been kind of like the Golden State Warriors. It, it's this, it's this, the, the, the superstar players who have 
you know, all sorts of Division One scholarship offers. They, they've all come to Nicolet to play. Now, what's happened is their families have all decided that we're going to transfer. See, the, the WIAA has this rule, and the rule is that after your sophomore year, if you transfer from, like, one basketball program to another, you have to sit out a year, right? There is an exception to that rule, which is large enough that you can drive a truck through, and that exception says that if your family relocates to the different school district, well, then none of this applies, and you don't have to sit out. So what's happening is you have these various families who are making the decision to relocate, in this case, into the Glendale School District, so the kids can play. What is, what's the link? Why Nicolet? Well, what's happened is a number of these superstars all play together on, on they, they play for this AAU team that's, again, one of the best AAU teams in, in the country. And so they all play together outside of the high school basketball season. So they get together, and they say, we want to play together. We want to be this super team. And then mom and dad decide, all right, we're going to move from Sun Prairie, or we're going to move from Sheboygan, or whatever. We're going to relocate, and we're going to move into the Glendale School District, and then you can go and you can all play together. And the effect of that has been you, you now have this team that's beating other teams in their conference by 30, 40, 50 points. On top of that... You have kids who were on the basketball team who are good basketball players, who were on the basketball team whose families, for example, have lived in the school district for decades. You know, grew up wanting to, you know, playing in the local leagues and things like that and grew up, you know, wanting to play for the high school. Well, now they're, they're not either not able to make the team or They've gone from being a starter to riding the bench because you have all these superstars that have come in, their families have relocated, and so now they're they're playing. Right, our, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The WIAA is wrestling with whether or not they need to put in a rule that would essentially stop this. Because, again, normally, in a general, in a normal world, you know, okay, you're, you're playing high school basketball or you're going to one high school. Your, your dad, let's say you live in lacrosse, and your dad or your mom or whatever, your family gets a better job offer to come and work in Glendale. So, you know, you, the kid, under normal circumstances, shouldn't be punished because dad gets a better job and decides to move to Glendale. So you move with him and you finish up your last two years at Nicolet. You know, would it be fair to that kid to say, well, no, you, you can't play because dad got a better job offer and decided to move? All right. But that doesn't appear to be what's going on here. Here you have apparently people, families that are making the decision that they want to move because, I don't know, they want their kid to be showcased and get a better opportunity for college scholarships or just, you know, play on a dominant team. It's throwing the competitive balance of schools all out of whack. You know, no question about that. The only way you could probably stop it would be to impose a rule that says if you have like a prior contact 
with that that high school like you've I don't know, you know the coach or you've played for the coach on the AAU team or you know players on the team, then you'd still have to sit out a year. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. The concern isn't isn't Nicolay necessarily this year. It is what it is. The question is, moving forward, you know, do you need to impose a rule to kind of protect the integrity of the game and stop these moves that parents are obviously making for the intention of having their kids be able to play on one of these super teams. Right now, it's not against the rules. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. And should we care, I guess, about, I don't know, the kid that grew up in the Nicolay School District? You know, it's played basketball, good basketball player, but not good enough when you bring in I mean, they're they're not free agent transfers, but we all understand what's going on here. Or, hey, if the kids want to win and they want to play together and their parents are willing to move, should we say no problem and just enjoy the victories? We discuss in just a minute. 414-799-1620. Stick around. It's 243. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. <music> 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Steve and Nina. Hi, Steve. Hey, how are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, what what do you think? This is the new trend, the parents moving the kids so they can play on better basketball teams and creating these yeah. super teams. So my take is, you know, and I've got three kids, ages five, seven, and nine. So already at their age, they're being told that if they don't play in a club sport, they're never going to play when they get to high school. Right. You know, and so this is happening everywhere. And so jumping forward to, hey, my kids are playing basketball in high school right now, and all of a sudden you've got uh, you know, some superstar that wants to move to your, to your community. Right. And my kid has done the thing the whole way through and done everything he was told to do, and then all of a sudden he's not going to play or she's not going to play. I think it's garbage. Yeah, I, I, I think we've lost priority in replacing sports over the experience of, you know, not every kid's going to be in that you know, NBA or be a Division One college athlete, and I don't know. I think we're robbing our kids of the innocence of just being able to play a sport, a bigger picture. Well, I mean, I mean, thank. I mean that that is that's one of the effects because I mean there is this kind of trickle down effect that's there. It, it's like you, you bring in the superstar. So in your case, Steve, your your kid is a good player but they're they're not good enough to pl- they're not good enough to to make the team or they're going to be sitting on the bench or whatever because they've been displaced as a result of this i guess at the same time some people might say well that just means your kid needs to learn to be better tim and mosquito tim hello hi what do you think I, I, well i think that how's that any different than sending your kid to a, a better school that's academic wise you move to a different community or a different location so that your kid can have a better education and possibly get a scholarship, go to a better college, university, get a better job. Right. So, and and th- that's that's true. That's the thing. I you know I, I don't want to send my kid to MPS, so I want to buy a place in Mequon so my kid can go to right. Homestead instead of whatever. You see it as essentially the equivalent to that. Absolutely. Now the the difference though is, I guess if if you're Let's say you're doing the academic thing. You're not affecting the opportunities of of other people, and you're not changing the competitive balance like you do in the world of athletics. 
Well, in athletics, no, but in society I am because I'm I'm sending my kids, but they're getting a better education. They're going to be mm-hmm. able to do better for themselves. I think I think it's connected. Okay. Let me ask you the flip side of that then. Should high school coaches be able to recruit? At that point in time, I mean, if that's if if our if our justification is going to be, and I get what you're saying, you know, it's the same as academics. Should high school coaches, should the coach at Whitefish Bay, be able to say, you know, there's really a good kid that's playing out in Fond du Lac? Should he be able to go out and to say to the kid's parents, you really should move to Whitefish Bay and and play play for us? The academics are better. I don't I don't mean to pick on Fond du Lac, right. but you know, the, the academics are better. We're putting together the super basketball program so the kid will have a better chance at a scholarship. Should the coaches be able to recruit? I don't believe so at that level, no. Okay, well then how is it? How how is that really different? I mean, the way this Nicolay thing happened, my understanding is well, these kids all... No, 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 no. The, the kids, but the kids all the kids all get together. The kids are playing together right. in AAU, and they all decide we're going we're going to go there, and the parents go along with it. I guess how what what difference does it make if the justification is hey they're going to play better basketball or whatever and get more exposure? Why shouldn't their coach be able to recruit? That's a good point. Okay, no, thanks. No, I mean, I just I throw that out there because it's. I mean, if I, I, I just if that's going to be the justification. And, and by the way, I, I don't. I I just think this is. I'm not arguing that you need new rules. I I don't I don't see how you could impose new rules that would be fair and and work out. Because again, what about how do you decide what the reason why a family is moving? I mean, how 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 do you decide decide that? I mean, if if and it's, he makes an absolutely outstanding point. If I make a decision that, gee, I'm I'm moving my, you know, my, my kid's been in the school district the freshman year. I don't want to send him to private schools. I'm going to, I want to move him up to Green Bay because I want to send him to this Green Bay high school that I think is absolutely great. Who's to say what the motivation of the parents are? If the parents relocate, they're in that area. I, I don't know that you can determine this. So I think it's something quite candidly that you're you're you know you're not going to be able to control and do it in a fair way. Some of the rules they're looking at, I just don't think that they end up being workable. But is is this good for college? I mean, is it good for high school basketball? And and how far do we carry it? Bob in Wauwatosa. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Bob. Uh, I had I had three uh, kids that played athletics and other activities and. I don't see it's a problem. I mean, you're not guaranteed a spot. And as I was saying that, I know people that actually switched from one of the far west Waukesha schools to the Brookfield schools just for the music program. Right. You know, I mean, let's put it to you this way. You, you, I have seen more trouble actually with good kids that have transferred in because their parents have moved and you get the quote politics of high school sports. It keeps that kid out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it goes right. both ways. And I wish people would get this upset about the actual academic performance of the <laughs> Milwaukee public school system as they do about this. Right. So I guess your basic premise is this all kind of works out, and if the parents think it's in their interest and they're willing to relocate, why does anybody else need to worry about it? Exactly. Yeah, and I, think so. and I guess that's th- – does it bother me that you have the, these super teams that can get cre- created? Yes, it, it does to an extent because I'm not – I'm not sure how fair it is. I understand. Believe me, I'm the guy that argues life is tough. Get a helmet. Wagner's rule number one. I, I'm not sure how fair it is that you can have these these super teams 
high, these super high school teams built around, you know, we got a bunch of these really good superstar AAU kids, and they all decide they want to play together. I don't know that that's big picture good for the game and, and good for, you know, high school sports. At the same time, if mom and dad are willing to sign up for this, and mom and dad are willing to say for whatever reasons, and the example for academic is great. Gee, you know, Jeff, you're really into debate. Well, where we live right now doesn't have a great debate program, but, you know, we're going to move you to Germantown because they've got a great debate program. Okay, you know, who, who's to say? If the parents are willing to make that kind of sacrifice, that that's fine. And who's to look at their motives and who really cares why they're doing it? So the bottom line is I don't think we need a new rule for this. I guess if this happens on a regular basis and you have the competitive balance, which is just out of whack year after year after year, maybe you, you need to look at doing something. But, you know, there, there's always going to be these blips. My guess is, you know, this year it's the kids that are at Nicolet. You know, two years from now, maybe some of the superstars playing on the AAU teams will decide, all right, it's going to be Sun Prairie this year, or it's going to be Fond du Lac, or it's going to be Green Bay. And, and so my guess is this is going to switch itself around, and maybe the best lesson is for the fans of the team to enjoy this kind of, you know, while while it ends up lasting, because I suspect it's going to switch. In any event, uh, this Nicolet team is really, uh, I think there's something special. Again, they've only lost one game this year. Everybody expects that they're going to roll to the Division II championship, and nobody's going to be within 10, 15, 20 points of them. We'll see. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.